I find now that I have physicians in my community that know my people well, they're going to get the best quality of care. And I thank you, Brent Ohada, for doing that for my people. You're part of our family and anybody could be part of our First Nations family. It's just the trust, the honesty, the being there. That's Cynthia Munger, Community Health Representative at the Stellaton First Nation in British Columbia. She's our guest on this episode of Around the Room, the Canadian Rheumatology Association podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Daniel Ennis. Today, we're continuing our series of interviews on an important topic, Indigenous health in Canada. For this conversation, I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Dr. Brent Ohara, a rheumatologist at UBC. Brent is passionate about Indigenous health and health equity. In 2017, he won the Innovation Award in the UBC Division of Rheumatology for championing telehealth as a means of improving access to rheumatologic care in rural BC. Stellaton First Nation, where Cynthia Munger lives and runs the local health centre, is one of the remote communities that Brent regularly visits. Welcome to you both. Thank you very much, Dan. Thank you. This conversation will mostly be between the two of you, but before we get started, Brent, I'd love to hear about how you started your work in remote, remote communities and what that experience has been like. You know, I first came to uh, Stellaton as in my final year of rheumatology training. Uh, I was always interested in Indigenous health and health equity uh, and became connected with a number of family physicians that work in uh, Stellaton and a number of other communities in that general area. Um, and I think it's fair to say that it was it was love at first. I, you know, I think I've fallen... Um, fall in love with the communities that I serve and gotten to know them um, better and more deeply over the years. Um, what resonated with me back then and still resonates with me now is the fact that we do have a two-tiered healthcare system in Canada where we have amazing resources uh, in urban Canada and very few resources available for the rest of the country. And I'd like to think that uh, working in places like Stellaton um, bridges and improves that inequity that we have in our country. I, I really do do find uh, you to be an inspiration, so I'm really looking forward to your conversation together. And at this point, I'll hand things over to you, and uh, I'm really looking forward to it. So uh, go ahead. Thank you very much, Dan. So Cynthia, you're from Stellaton, a reserve outside of Fraser Lake, B.C., I'm guessing that most rheumatologists that are listening to this podcast are from rural or from urban centers across Canada. Mm -hmm. um, would you mind telling us a little bit about Stellaton? Well, Stellaton is a beautiful community. Um, I am grateful to have physicians come to our people as uh, traveling is really hard for our community members to travel to Prince George. I am from the Frog Clan. I've lived here the majority of my life. I was raised by my grandparents, the late Pete and Marianne Lugie. Um, I came to the community when I was three months old and I was raised with my grandparents. Stellaton has a little over 300 within the community and probably more off reserve. That's wonderful, Cynthia. Where Where is Stellaton? Stilatin is just north of Prince George. Um, okay. It's probably about a two-hour drive. Um, 
I'm sure, Brent, you know the drive sometimes with our urban communities. It's uh, not always pleasant to drive. Um, but our community is um, grateful to have rheumatoid arthritis doctors come to our community or any physicians. So the closest town would be Prince George, which is two hours away. And how far away is this from, from Vancouver? Probably a seven-hour drive. Okay. So that sounds pretty far from uh, any urban center. Um, what happens if you get sick in Stilaton? Well, right now, we're really battling uh, for more employees. Um, even our ambulance service here is it's got to get called elsewhere, either from Burns Lake, Bander, Prince George, Houston, Granite. So right now, even to have BC ambulance come into our community is difficult. And when you list all those communities by, by way of background, those are those are towns about an hour to sometimes two hours away. Exactly. Is that correct? Yes. Um, so if you're if you're acutely ill, it's going to take at least an hour just for an ambulance to arrive. Is that yes. right? Depending also on the winter road conditions, it could take longer. And how easy it is, is it to even... Um, see a family doctor, get prescriptions, get blood work or x-rays? Well, right now we don't even have blood work in Fraser Lake. We were going, I was sending all our clients to Vanderf. Well, Vanderf's no longer taking them. So our choice okay. is either Burns Lake or Prince George. So we don't even have lab here at all anymore. So those are towns about two hours away. Yes. How much would that cost you? For gas, for uh, patient travel, just to go there, it's seventy four ninety eight, and that's return, no meals wow. included. Okay, that's a lot, and I guess you have to take time off from from work to be able to get blood work done and whatnot. Yes. So I go to Stilaton, and I've been going to Stilaton um, for seven eight years. If I weren't going to Stilaton, where would people go if they had severe? rheumatoid arthritis where would they go for care um the most places that our our patients was sent to was vancouver okay um so that would take seven hours or so yes um driving which sometimes people would do or they would fly right. okay do you think that worked out very well um usually we have to provide an escort along with somebody that's maybe elderly or a language barrier um so that kind of really makes it difficult also because a lot of our elders or, you know, even some of our people don't understand some of the medical terminology stuff that was brought before them. And they have no clue on what the doctor is saying to them in Vancouver. You know, that is that is a common thing that I hear, you know, throughout Canada, um, you know, a lot of a lot of Indigenous patients will have to fly hours, you know, from Baffin Island down to Ottawa or from, um, you know, northern Ontario to, to Toronto or something like that. And a lot of people feel that that system is working really well. Do you feel like that meets the needs of, of your patients and of, of people in your community? Well, the needs is I'm so grateful to have you come to our community. Um, with language barrier problems and stuff like that, sometimes the patients won't go. They will not go to Vancouver. Um, 
maybe it's fear, uh, not knowing where to go or if they're doing something right. So within my eyes, I prefer that they come to community. The traveling is not so great for them. You think about even having a flight to Vancouver and you have severe rheumatoid arthritis. It's difficult for those people. I think you brought up two really interesting uh, topics there. So one interesting topic would be um, the difference between care on reserve versus care in a tertiary care center. Uh, and then the other other thing that you brought up was fear and, and trust. So maybe you could talk a little bit about um, what the difference is between having, having resources on reserve or having resources all centered in an urban center. What, what do you think the differences and, and the benefits of bringing care to reserve are? The benefits is remarkable. Um, I have more clients going, um, coming to the rheumatoid arthritis doctor if he or she may be in community. A lot of them won't travel. There's a fear of trust. Um, fear of trust where a lot of our, our female women have passed on because of maybe cervical cancer. Um, you know, those are some of the barriers that we will see um, where they, they're fearful of doctors because they're not sure they're going to get the best quality of care. And being within their community is a safer place for them. I'm, I'm interested to hear a little bit more about that. You know, I think all of us feel that trust is a really important issue with our Indigenous clients. What do you think we can do to improve trust with, with our Indigenous patients? Well, when you first came, people didn't know you. Um, they were leery about coming to see the rheumatoid arthritis doctor from Vancouver. And once they've gotten that bond and started communicating more with, even with you, Dr. Ohada, there's a trust there. A lot of the people will not have trust. They've been, even to go to Prince George, or even to Vancouver, a lot of their questions aren't answered. So they come back here not knowing what they really have and how to do treatment. Um, I believe that um, Indigenous people are fearful of going to the city because we live here. This is their home. This is their boundaries. I've had like a lot of ladies pass away from cervical cancer because their knowledge is that's only their husband. So they're not going to come to a doctor and say, you know, I'm 60 years old and I have my menstrual period. They're not going to do that. They're going to hide it. And by the time they come out and say something to someone, then it's too late. I agree. And that's a, that's a really sad story. Um, you know, oftentimes when I, when I interact with, with patients on reserve, you know, this trust issue comes up and I feel like, uh, oftentimes there's a very long history of, of challenges and, uh, and lack of trust that, uh, has built up over, over a lifetime or multiple lifetimes. You know, could, could you elaborate a little bit about that? You know, it seems like we're, we're almost at, you know, um, you know, that there's, that there's a lot of depth to this. 
there is lots of depth to it. Um, I, uh, like I say, like our community members come here. I also have members from the our First Nations community, like Notley, that comes here. Um, some people from Saikas or maybe Burns Lake um, because of their fear of not getting the right diagnose of something that they choose not to talk about with a physician because it's private to them and they're scared um, of even trying to say something. And I believe that also comes from residential school. That's the fear that they have with physicians also. And um, I believe when physicians come to our community and get to know our people as they are our family, they open up more. Where in a Vancouver setting or stuff like that, they're not going to tell you anything. You know, you brought up the topic of residential schools. So sometimes when I'm interacting with patients, I feel like I'm almost like a uh, interpreted as an authority figure, similar to, to what people experienced in, in residential schools. What what are common experiences that people had in residential schools with healthcare and, and how they were treated? Well, from my experience, I'm going to tell you about my experience when I was a young girl going to residential school. For one thing, I was half-breed. So it was really difficult for me to go to this school because I was never accepted on each side. I was kind of in, in the middle. Residential school, even if you had beautiful teeth, they're going to go in there and put some whatever they can or pull your teeth. It didn't matter. That authority that people feel the fear from is from residential school. They were told what to do. And if you don't do it, there's consequences. So the authority part is where I feel they fall into a place where they don't want to tell anybody anything because they fear that the authority, oh, is this doctor telling me what to do? Or is this doctor saying what I have to do? Um, so the a lot of that is straight from residential school. Um, I had beautiful teeth and then all of a sudden I come home and I had fillings in my teeth. For what? I didn't have no cavities. But it was authority and they said you needed work on your teeth. No explanation to my family why I needed work on my teeth. You know, you, you think I'm a parent, we're all parents. And do you think you're going to let somebody do an authority on your child that you know nothing about or does not need it? Wow. So I can imagine, you know, a big part of healing and improving what we do is going to be centered around explaining things, um, reducing this, this authority and, and making more of a, of a, of a reciprocal relationship, I suppose. What are, what are other things you think that we can do to, to heal what I think is a really sick relationship that we as healthcare providers have to our indigenous um, uh, population? Like I, like I said, the biggest thing is trust. Um, They don't know. Um, Some of them feel like 
they're not welcome because they're First Nations people. Um, there's um, places, hospitals I have sent clients even in emergency, and there will be the last one to be seen regardless with how high that situation is. So if somebody is, has heart problems and they're in the hospital and they're panicking, they're going to go to somebody else. I've already dealt with this in hospitals. And my clients want out when they're not ready to go out because there's a stigma against them. Because people go in there for overdoses and stuff like that. So my people are targeted. Oh, some of the things I hear is, how much did you drink today? Or how much drugs did you do today? That's not the case. Not the case with all our people. But yet it comes out of the health system. Wow. That's, and it's really that's sad. Terrible. Okay. They send people home because they're discharged. No ride home. Middle of winter. Trying to hitchhike back to our communities. Hospitals. Physicians should know that there should be always transportation before they even leave that facility, that these people get home safe and their health is always taken care of. It's a lot of prejudice, I believe, um, not with everybody, but with certain ones. Yeah, I can imagine that, Cynthia. That's that's terrible. Um, what, you know, I think there's a lot that we can do, um, as healthcare professionals to, to change our behaviors, um, so that we heal our relationships with Indigenous people. What does Indigenous healing look like? And, you know, healing from, from an Indigenous perspective, because I often feel like, um, uh, there's a lot that, that we need to change in terms of just our approach and, and our understanding of health for Indigenous peoples as well. Right. I think one of the things that should be say is, you know, exactly tell them who you are. Tell them what kind of a doctor you are, what you're there to do with them. You know, make it open to them so that they could speak to you. Um, a lot of it was from doctors that flew in, um, didn't even examine you and gave you a prescription maybe for Oxycontin or diazepam or whatever it is. Here you go. Bye. And then my, my community members are hooked. You know, they're hooked. And yet they fall through the cracks and then they end up on the streets. And most of them come back to our, our community in a coffin. So one of the things I really dislike is physicians just prescribing pain medication to my people when it's not needed. And I've told my family physicians that come into this community, I do not want to see my elders on heavy duty narcotics. Because today I'm dealing with elders that are on these narcotics. And it's a battle try to get them off. So Cynthia, I think you've given us a lot of food for thought. I'd like to ask you one final question. 
perhaps a, a hopeful question. What do you see as your as your hopeful vision of the future for for health in Stellaton? What does a healthy community look like to you, and how do you think we get there? For physicians, um, Doctor Wahadi, you've been here for seven to eight years. Um, I think what's healthy about our own rheumatoid arthritis doctor coming into my our, my community is they're so happy that Brent is coming. We'll put up the post, Dr. Wahada's coming here, blah, blah, blah. And everybody, the phone rings. So there's trust there. There's trust all the way. Um, or before, I don't know if I want to see that doctor. That doctor said this to me, and I don't feel comfortable with that doctor. I am so grateful for Stalako to have two physicians, plus Dr. Wahada and other other specialists come in our community, and I think that should happen to other communities. Um, we are very welcome to all our physicians because we want the best quality of care for our First Nations communities in our own communities, for our own people. Um, like I said, the downside before was physicians just flying in, flying out five minutes and you're done. That doesn't happen here anymore, and I'm so grateful for that. And my vision will be bigger in time. Um, I'll work with any doctor to make my vision bigger and better. But um, I wish we had more rheumatoid arthritis within our first community communities because I understand Dr. Ohada works really hard, not only with Stella, but other communities. And right now, I really don't want to lose him coming into our community because my people trust him. And maybe Dr. Wahada needs to bring in students that are into rheumatoid to be a physician for a rheumatoid doctor and show them those communities and feel part of our communities because they're part of our family. They're looking after my people. They're looking after my community. And I think we need more to come to our wellness centers, any doctors, any physicians, any specialists, because of the trust and the barriers within our communities. Thank you very much, Cynthia. This was amazing to hear. If I may, you, you two have covered some very important topics in your discussion so far. And if you'll allow me the last question here, Cynthia, I understand from our prior conversation that you've actually adopted Brent into your clan. Yes. Is that right? Yes. Now, now I think that's really, that's really beautiful. And I'm, I'm curious about um, all of that from a culture perspective, but I'm wondering if you can kind of explain what did he do to be accepted into your community? How did he gain trust with you and your people? Because I, I'd really love to get maybe some of the specifics on how we can emulate Brent and and his relationship with your community and try and emulate that elsewhere. I adopted Brent into my frog clan. Brent is part of my frog clan now because he works with my people. Um, I adopted him and uh, he sits on my house of my grandmother. His his children and his his wife is my father clan, which is caribou. So his children sit in another house, but they're still our family. 
it doesn't it doesn't happen overnight to invite a non-indigenous person into our community to be part of our family it takes trust honesty and to be devoted to my community and my people and brent has shown that he's even come to visit us even when he's on holidays and that's a big thing you know i'm not here to be your doctor day but i'm here to let you know i'm home i really encourage other rheumatoid doctors to come like maybe somebody will adopt you <laughs> we don't know right my heart is very full with dr wahada because i feel the honesty and the trust in him or others that have come to my community i haven't it seems to me that uh, something of a through line through your conversations and your comments on on brent are that uh, one of the ways to build trust is consistency and and caring genuinely so yes. he he clearly cares about your community it's not just the job um even though that's of course part of it um and and he makes an effort to be there and has been coming to the community for so long um that that he's now uh, kind of made it clear that he's not uh he's not passing through You've commented before that you, you have had healthcare practitioners who come and leave. And even if you did like them or care about them too, the transient nature of that relationship makes it hard to build that long-term trust that is so important to your community. Is that is that fair to say? Most definitely. You know, um, I did have a rheumatoid doctor come in one time and I did bring in clients from... Stony Creek, Saikas, Burns Lake, because there is such a need. And I know these other people from other communities. They never came back. They said they don't want to come back. Because the first thing that came out of their mouth was how much do you drink? Mm -hmm. how, much do, how much drugs do you do? That's not a way to introduce yourself as a physician. Just because we're First Nations people doesn't mean we all do that. Like I said, people fall through the cracks. We never used to have medicine. We did our own medicine a long time ago. My grandparents, they were never on Oxycontin and that, stuff like that. Never. And it's just passed to them, passed to them. And I find now that I have physicians in my community that know my people well, they're going to get the best quality care and I thank you Brent Ohada for doing that for my people you're part of he's part of our family and anybody could be part of our First Nations family it's just the trust the honesty the being there well I thank you so much for uh, all of your insights and, and personal stories and uh, I hope that we can keep having these conversations to elevate the issue and, and certainly spread the word that um, you know, this is an ongoing area of need um, and also elevate, you know, um, advocates like yourself and advocates like Brent um, who are really involved in, in this effort. So thank you both so much for, for such a lovely conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Daniel. That's it for this episode of Around the Room. Our podcast is produced for the CRA by David McGuffin, Dr. Dax Rumsey and Aaron Stewart. We would like to give a special thanks to the Communications Committee and the staff of the CRA for their hard work. 
If you enjoyed your time with us, please give us a rating and subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. You can also share this podcast with your colleagues and spread the word on social media. I'm Daniel Ennis. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.